0: Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome
1: to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Good morning, and welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living today. I'm your co-host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo, and today our topic is Spiritual Lessons from Paramahansa Yogananda, Experiences of a Devoted Disciple, and this is a continuation of our show from last week. I am so delighted to be joined today by Roy Eugene Davis, who will be sharing his experiences of his guru, Paramahansa Yogananda. Roy Eugene Davis is one of the last living direct disciples of Paramahansa Yogananda, and is an internationally known spiritual teacher and author bringing the teachings of Kriya Yoga to thousands of students for more than 65 years. He has published many books on the teachings of Kriya Yoga that have been translated into at least 10 languages and has continuously published the bimonthly Truth Journal for over 60 years. Today, and also last week, uh, we are focusing on his book, Paramahansa Yogananda, As I Knew Him the revised second edition. Mr. Davis is the founder of the Center for Spiritual Awareness and has a beautiful retreat center in the mountains of northern Georgia. You can find out more about his work at csa-davis.org. Welcome Roy Eugene Davis, I'm delighted you could join me today on the Yoga Hour.
2: Thank you, it's always a pleasure to be with you.
1: Perfect. So before we dive into our discussion of the spiritual lessons you learned from your guru, Paramahansa Yogananda, let's begin with a moment of practicing what we're about to discuss, a moment of meditation, a yoga moment. So. Let's begin by turning our attention within. Just taking this moment out of our busy day to pay attention to the here and now. And our breath is a wonderful tool to help us do this. So let's just pay attention as we take a fully conscious breath, as we inhale and exhale. As we inhale, we can feel the cool air in our nostrils. And as we exhale, the warm air flowing out. Just observe your breath. Don't try and change the natural rhythm, but just notice. Just notice with every inhale and every exhale. And as you inhale, imagine that you can dive within with the breath. And on the exhale, just relax. In this moment, as we dive within, we can open our heart to the essence at the core of our being. This one reality called by many names is the source and substance of all that is. And it's here with us right now, right where we are. This divine essence is present as you, as me, as everyone and everything. It's within us, between us and all around us. And just by being present now, and noticing, we can rest in this essence of our being. As we rest here, we may notice thoughts or feelings as they arise. We realize we can just watch them, watch them as they arise, and watch them as they pass away. resting in our essential nature, beyond words and thoughts, beyond all change, pure existence being. And while resting here, we feel the peace that emanates from this essence of our being and allow it to pervade the mental field the emotional nature, and the physical body. And as we close this meditation, let's remember this peace, this portable peace, as Yogananda described it. Let's take it with us as we proceed into our day and share it with all we meet. Oh, Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. Roy Eugene Davis, it's so great to have you with us for two weeks in a row. So in our conversation today, we're continuing to draw from your book, Paramahansa Yogananda As I Knew Him, the Revised Second Edition. Last week in your conversation with Yogacharya O'Brien, you told us about how you were drawn to the teachings of Kriya Yoga and how they just seemed right for you. You also recounted how, as a teenager, after reading Paramahansa Yogananda's book, Autobiography of a Yogi, you knew that this was the one person who could teach you about how to be self and God realized. This week I thought we'd continue hearing more about some of your experiences with Yogananda before he made his transition. And also talk about some of the important practices of Kriya Yoga that you continue to teach today. So, you were sent to the Phoenix Self Realization Fellowship Center fairly early in your time with Yogananda. I think you'd only been uh, with him at the Mother Center for, what, two or three months, right?
2: A little less than that, yes. I arrived around Christmas time in 1949, and it was the middle of February when he sent me to Arizona. Wow. And, uh, and the reason he sent me there was because, uh, as he said, they had a project there that I could fit fit into and uh, where, where I would be needed. Uh, I had no idea what the project was until I arrived there. And it turned out that uh, the Phoenix Self-Realization Fellowship uh, Center minister. Had thought that a goat dairy would be a good business project for the church to have, the place for the monks to work and also bring in income for the branch center.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And Yogananda, Yogananda knew uh, by that time that I had grown up on a farm in Ohio
3: mm-hmm. and
2: I was used to, used to working with livestock. I had not worked with cow, goats before, but with cattle and hogs and horses and so forth.
3: Mm-hmm. So, and
2: Also, he told me that the climate would be good for my health. He thought the warm climate of Arizona would be suitable, suitable for me. So he sent me over there, and I fit in quite nicely. And it turned out to be an ideal place mm-hmm. uh, to, to engage in spiritual practice.
1: So was it was it difficult for you to be so far away from your guru and the other disciples?
2: Uh, not really, because I had already established a uh, teacher-student relationship with Yogananda when I first met him, and during the four or five weeks that followed, that, uh, as far as having relationships with others, uh, I've always been an introverted personality. I have never needed the uh, support or the or the presence of other people to motiv- motivate me uh, to, to accomplish what I felt I wanted to accomplish. So it was a it was an ideal uh, situation for me. And he, when he sent me over there, he told me to come back every 60 days to spend a few days where he was and to have that opportunity for personal time with him, mm-hmm. which I did. I did for the next two years.
1: And that is such a remarkable thing, you know, for you to, uh, I know you visited him um, when he was in retreat at uh, the 29 Palms uh, Center, and um, that must have been such a special time. You knew every every few months that you'd be seeing him, you know, and be able to have that time with him.
2: Yes, that was very, very good to be able to look forward to that. And that was actually every two months, every 60 days. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would take the Greyhound bus from Phoenix to uh, a place called Desert Center in mm-hmm. California, and then she take a limousine from there to Twenty Nine Palms in the high mm-hmm. desert, where he had a, a house for his private retreat. Mm-hmm. He had gone there uh, three or four years before he passed, in order to be in seclusion and be able to have the freedom uh, to write his uh, commentary on the Bhagavad Gita Mm. and other scriptures.
1: Mm -hmm. So I know that you went to see him every 60 days, as you said. In what other ways uh, did you stay connected with your guru?
2: Well, he always told me when I visited him, uh, before I left to go back to Phoenix, he always told me to stay in tune with him, and uh, he said, "When you are in tune with me, uh, I I can help you. And if you're not in tune, it's like having static in the in the mental radio." Mm-hmm. What he meant was to always cultivate an, an attitude and an awareness of respect for him, and and a, and a feeling of being. Uh, in harmony with him, regardless of, regardless of whether I was with him in person or over in Arizona.
3: Mm-hmm. So when I
2: had that spiritual and mental harmony with him, uh, I felt uh, connected uh, at, a, at a deeper level uh, at all times. And it mm-hmm. wasn't easy. For, it wasn't difficult for me to maintain that attitude because I had a devotional nature,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and he was he, he was so. Uh, Uh, impressive uh, uh, as far as being quiet and strong and wise, that it was very easy to think of him with respect and to have that sense of closeness with him.
1: Mm, That's really lovely. So what was your uh, routine like, your meditation routine like, when you were in Phoenix?
2: Well, the first uh, year when I was at the Goat Dairy, the Goat Dairy was only... uh, uh, Maintained for a year before it was discovered that it, was, it wasn't going to be profitable, and the and the goats and the and the equipment were sold. But uh, during the first year, I meditated at least an hour every morning and an hour and a half or two in the evening. And but after the goat dairy was sold, and it was in Scottsdale, Arizona, eight ten miles outside of Phoenix, I, I moved into Phoenix. And I stayed at the uh, center of the church, really, uh, uh, in Phoenix. And there I had I had more time for private meditation. And I used to get up in the morning at about 3 a.m. and shower and go into the chapel and meditate until uh, about 8. So I had uh, almost five hours of uh, introspective meditation. Uh, every morning and then uh, the evening I would meditate another two hours or so uh, but remember I was in a monastic environment right and I didn't have a social life and that that was the purpose for my being there
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I did it because I wanted to see what the results would be.
1: Mm-hmm. And I know from, from attending your seminars and all that, that's not necessarily something that you recommend for your students now, is, is really prolonged periods of meditation. Is that right?
2: Uh, well, the, most, most people who have family and jobs uh, aren't able to set aside the time uh, for to meditate that long. Right. But uh, the average person I recommend. Uh, at least uh, 20 to 30 minutes in the morning, perhaps in the evening. Or if they become more skillful, uh, they can perhaps meditate an hour. Mm-hmm. But uh, that, then the rest of the time cultivate an awareness of the presence of God or this ultimate reality uh, at all times, though they're engaged in their ordinary everyday activities. Because for most people who would try to sit for uh, long long hours. After a while, they would become too introverted and passive, and they really wouldn't be having. The, they wouldn't really get the, get the positive results that mm-hmm. they would hope to have. Because right. when we're meditating, when meditating to get have results, we have to stay alert. We have to stay very attentive. And just sitting and waiting and watching in a passive state uh, is not that useful.
1: Mm. So you write uh, in your book that you occasionally had moods that disturbed your thoughts and inner peace, and certainly I can relate. <laughs> I can relate to that, and I think most of us uh, can. So, would you share that story with us, and and Yogananda's response to that, and and what did you learn from from the whole thing?
2: on, on one occasion, I had occasions of uh, not being too happy. I wasn't depressed, but I was just sort of. Uh, melancholy and moody, and the reason for that was that I wasn't uh, experiencing the rapid spiritual awakening that I wanted to experience, and uh, it just wasn't happening. Uh, I, I came to realize later that often these changes <coughs> take time, so I, uh, Paramahansa Yogananda became aware of my situation. And he wrote me a handwritten note, very short note. And he said, Roy, you make yourself unhappy because you play a negative record in your mind. Mm. Why don't you break the record? And that was back in the days when little shellac records could drop on the floor and easily crack or broken. Right. And when he said that, I realized, "Oh, yeah, I've been preoccupied with little old me. (laughs) I'm <laughs> not good at the results I wanted I wanted to have. I'm feeling sorry for myself. So as soon as I got insight into that, I changed my mental attitude. And I found out it is possible to change the mental attitude if we decide to do so.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that uh, Yogananda had asked of you early in your relationship was that you only read his books you know, books that he had right. written for the first year that you were his disciple. Um, yes. and then he found out that you had been reading, uh, some other books and, and tell us that story. How did he respond?
2: All right. Well, I first had my first private talk with Parvumsaji. It was on Christmas day in 1949. I had uh, just arrived there two days earlier and, uh, I asked to be his disciple, and he began to give me some instruction how how to do that, how to prepare. And one of the things he said was, read my books for the first year. Then he said, if you want to read the Bhagavad Gita and the Bible, that's all right. But for, the, for your major reading, read only my books. Well, the purpose for, for that was I, I was just uh, starting out my relationship with him and he wanted me to understand what he taught, what he stood for, and also to uh, uh, have that mental and spiritual attunement with him, And uh, during, the, especially the first year. And then, within the first year, <clears throat> when I was over in Scottsdale, Arizona, on one, on one occasion, I drove by a bookstore, and uh, I stopped, and I... Went in. I was curious uh, to see the various selections that were available, and I came across a book by uh, about Sri Ramakrishna,
3: mm-hmm.
2: whom Master had written about in his autobiography of a yogi,
3: mm-hmm. because
2: Ramakrishna was very well known uh, in Bengal, Yogananda's area, region where he grew up. And so I, I thought to myself, well. Since Master has mentioned him favorably in his book, it'll be all right to read it. So I I bought the book and I began to read, and it was interesting. And sure enough, I began to during the day think so much about Ramakrishna and his philosophical views and his experiences and comments, and that I was not thinking as much about my relationship with Master or Pramanka Yogananda. And so that's and that was the problem. It wasn't the book. The book was OK. But I sh- shouldn't have been reading it at that time in my relationship with him. So I went over to California to see him on my regular schedule. And ordinarily, when I would arrive, he would see me, and he would smile and acknowledge me and say a few words of welcome. And on this occasion, he was <clears throat> surrounded by several disciples, and as I approached the group, he saw me, uh, I saw him look at me, then look away, and he didn't, he didn't indicate any recognition of me. And as I got closer, after he stopped talking to the other disciples, he, I was very close to him, about a lot of foot away, and he sat very quietly. Uh, There was a reason I told you to only read my books for the first year. And uh, I knew what that reason was, and I felt embarrassed. And then he uh, looked at me again, and he he said, yeah, he uh, he asked, is everything all right? I said, yes, sir. He said, all right, that's my boy. And that's that's the the extent of our conversation. He
3: didn't
2: didn't go beyond that. He didn't chastise me verbally anymore. Mm. Uh, He didn't didn't find fault. Uh, He just reminded me that uh, when you have a teacher-student relationship, that's a value that you ought to listen to the teacher if you want to have the benefits of that relationship.
1: Yes, yes, indeed. So, um, Yogananda died passed, had his Maha Samadhi, in uh, 1952, um, just yeah. past that date. Um, and uh, subsequently, you decided to leave Self-Realization Fellowship and begin your own ministry. So how did that come about?
2: All right. Uh, about a, uh, in the autumn of 1953, about a year and a half, almost two years after the Yor- passed. Uh, I began to realize that the monastic experience was very good good for me. I enjoyed it immensely, uh, and I was only uh, 22 years old or so. And I realized that to stay there in a monastic environment uh, for several years w- w- was not really necessary for for me to do. And so I decided, well, I need secular experience. I'll uh, withdraw. Not from the uh, teaching tradition, not from Kriya yoga practice, uh, or from my resolve to be self-realized, was simply uh, withdrawal from that particular lifestyle. And so I talked with uh, Faye Wright, who at that time was the sort of the chief executive officer of the organization. Uh, she had not yet become president, uh, the president was a business a businessman and how did Spiritually developed uh, disciple of Yogalanda's, Mr. J.J. Lynn. So I talked to Dhyanada, or she later became Dhyanada when she became president. But uh, I talked to her day right then, and I remember she said, Well, Roy, God is everywhere. You don't have to live under this roof to have a relationship with God. And then she said, If you uh, when well, you are settled after two years or so, if you are living in a city where we don't have a meditation group, yeah, you can start a meditation center for us. Well, that sounded fine. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that understanding was between her and me and Mr. Lynn, the, the man who was then the president of self realization Fellowship. So I... Uh, Uh, Departed and almost immediately was uh, invited to uh, uh, downtown in Phoenix and be examined for possible draft being drafted in the army. Mm. And uh, (laughs) while I was undergoing that process, I asked the fellow there how I could get that behind me so I wouldn't have to uh, wait four or five or ten years or more. Uh, before being drafted, he said, oh, you could volunteer for two years. Well, that sounded like a good idea, so I volunteered for two years. And I was in the Medical Corps, so that was easy after basic training. I worked on the respiratory ward of the hospital on Army base in Fort Riley, Kansas. And uh, about two months before I got ready to be discharged from the service, I began to think of my future. And I thought, what, what what am I going to do? And the, the answer that came into my mind was, well, I'll go to chiropractic school. I'll be a chiropractor. I'll have an honorable profession. And I will then be able to devote some a lot of time to the support, development and support of a self-realization fellowship meditation group.
1: And we're going to hold it right there because it's time for the break. So you are listening to the Yoga Hour with our special guest, Roy Eugene Davis, internationally known spiritual teacher and one of the last remaining direct disciples, last living uh, direct disciples of Paramahansa Yogananda. He'll be teaching in San Jose at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment on March 22nd and 23rd of this year, just in a few weeks. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the Yoga Hour, and when we come back from the break, we'll hear more about the observations and reflections of Yogananda from his direct disciple, Mr. Davis. We'll be right back.
0: We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Rev. Blair Tabor from Unity San Diego taken from a talk called Sacred Service, The Ultimate Spiritual Growth. Who we are and who we perceive ourselves to be as human beings is just such a small part of who we are as spiritual beings.
1: You remember the phrase that I like, you know, Emily like Katie says, God did not make you be spiritual pygmies, but spiritual giants. You know, and do we live as if we're spiritual giants? No, we don't. We live live as if we're you know weak human beings. You know, we're spiritual giants. We need to live that way in our lives. So we have to let go of the ego. It's a challenge because we spent so much energy and focus on on our ego on dressing a certain way and talking a certain way and looking a certain way and lining ourselves in certain ways to, to uphold that ego identity. But as we're willing to let that go, let it be permeable to spirit, then what we find is we're connected to that infinite oneness
0: that is God. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Are you a spiritual explorer? Enrich your journey by engaging in inspiring and uplifting online courses starting now. Powered by Unity Worldwide Spiritual Institute's world-class online learning management system, you can join in live or study at your own pace in the comfort of your home. Check out courses and topics like mindfulness meditation, grief management, spiritual growth, and a lot more. Get help and support to achieve your dreams. Find out more by going to unity.org slash explorers today. Create a path to success and prosperity with Mae McCarthy
1: and Abundance Incorporated every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central on unityonlineradio.org.
0: A co-founder of seven successful companies, an angel investor, best-selling author, and international speaker, Mae will help you each week with spiritual and practical tools you can use to create a life that you love with greater health, happiness, wealth, and freedom. Join the show live with your
1: questions or listen later on demand right here on unityonlineradio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back to The Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo. And my guest today is Roy Davis, spiritual teacher and author of many books on the teachings of Kriya Yoga, including the book we're talking about today, Paramahansa Yogananda, As I Knew Him, the second revised edition. You can find out more about Roy Davis and his work at csa-davis.org. So, Roy, when we uh, stopped for the break, you were telling us about how you had um, decided to get some real-world experience after being um, you know, at uh, Self-Realization Fellowship, and obviously then, you know, Yogananda's passing in 1952. And I should point out that you were very young, you know, when he passed. I believe you were only, what, about 20 or so years old when he, um, when Yogananda died? Yes, I was 20,
2: 21, yes.
1: 21. So you were very young, and had been uh, a student of his since you were, you know, 18. So, kind of you know, make sense, that you would want to have some real-world experiences. And then you ended up, you know, getting into, um, you know, becoming a a hospital uh, corpsman, I think you said. And, yeah, yeah, and then uh, had this idea about becoming a chiropractor. So then what happened?
2: Well, I wrote a letter to Fay Wright, and I told her my plan. And after a long time, I received a letter from her. Now, what had happened Uh, about two months earlier, in 1955, was that the president, Mr. James Lynn, uh, who had been president since Yogananda's passing three years earlier, uh, he had also passed. And so uh, by now, Fay Wright had become president. So she was writing me a letter on behalf of the board of directors. Mm -hmm. So she wrote in her letter— that the board uh, decided that they no longer wanted me to represent them in any capacity whatsoever, Mm. and uh, I I never, I didn't know why that change of attitude uh, at that time, but my first thought was, well, uh, if I can't represent Yogananda's organization, I can still represent the Kriya Yoga tradition and the teaching of the lineage of gurus or teachers so I wasn't devastated by the, by the situation, but uh, it was years later that I found out what was probably the, pr- the problem. And it was this. Uh, after Mr. Lynn passed as president, the members of the board of direct rec- directors uh, decided that thereafter, all of the branch teachers, teachers out in the field, uh, should be members of the monastic order,
3: mm-hmm. so they were going
2: to focus on developing a strong monastic order, and had the teachers come from that uh, from that order, and they were not going to have uh, teachers who were not members of that monastic order.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, when Yogananda was uh, president, president of course, in the 20s, uh, 30s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, They didn't have a strong monastic order, and when he he met someone that he felt could represent the teaching, he would ordain them and say, go forth and do it. But it was only after he passed and after Mr. Lin passed that the board decided to tighten up its organizational uh, rules, really, and uh, policies, and have only members of the monastic order be teachers in the field,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, so that's how that that's how that worked out.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: the so the organization Z is very strong, as well as as far as being organized. They have uh, a few dozen ministers who have been with them for 20, 20, 30, 40 years, who are very qualified to teach the uh, philosophical principles and represent them. So it has worked out fine for them. And also there are some things which I'll not go into, just minor uh, points of doctrine or, or philosophical philosophical concepts. There are some things that they teach that I, I don't consider uh, valid or necessary to teach. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, I, I wouldn't be able to represent them anyway. Right. But I do, <laughs> but, but, but I do have a uh, good good relationship with uh, many many of the uh, members of that organization mm-hmm. and uh, they know that I'm not in competition with them mm-hmm. and that i uh, uh, respect them and admire them for the good work they've been doing for mm-hmm. uh, so so many years so just we just have some differences differences of viewpoint right and opinion.
1: So, um,
2: no, 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 no major problems.
1: Indeed, yeah, I think that's um, that's always been clear to me from you know my interactions with you is that um, there's no hard feelings, kind of um, certainly on your side. And um, so, you have continued to teach and initiate people in Kriya Yoga for over 65 years. And and uh, for people who are not aware of that, um, I know that you have. Um, groups that are active still in places like Italy and in um, uh, Germany and anyway, all over the world, which is really you know, a um, wonderful testament to your teaching and your you know the, the organizations that you've founded. So um, tell us how that started. Tell us how Yogananda ordained you and the instructions that he did give to you at that time.
2: Yes uh, From time to time after I first met him, whenever I would visit him, in 1951 and 52, or 1951, 50 and 50, 51, he would look at me and he would say, Now be patient, Roy, I have plans for you. Mm. But he never told me what his plans were. <laughs> I, I, knew, I knew that in the future I would represent the teaching tradition as a teacher, but we ne- that was never discussed when I was with him. And uh, then uh, in autumn of 1951, uh, about five months before he passed, he passed as you mentioned earlier in March, uh, March 7, 1952. August 19, uh, uh, autumn 1951. I was over there at the Self-Possession Fellowship headquarters and uh, with, uh, with another minister. And uh, Yogananda's car came into the driveway. and He got out and he saw us by the the entrance of the door doorway, and he said, yeah, "Come with me, boys." So we went with him upstairs to the third floor of the building, and he sat in a chair in the hallway, and he talked to the other fellow for a while, and then uh, he looked at me and he he asked me to kneel down by his chair, which I did, and he put his hands on my head. And he said, I ordain you a minister of this tradition. Teaches I have taught and uh, initiate devotees of God into Kriya Yoga practice. And that was how quick, quick and easy it was. Mm. And then uh, at that time, I was acting as the assistant to the minister at the Phoenix Center. And then uh, Matt Yogananda passed in uh, March, uh, early March. And then I went over to California to attend the funeral service. And then two days after the funeral service, Fay Wright called me into her office and told me that it was Yogananda's wish that I be the minister at the Phoenix Center. So he had plans for me. He just didn't tell me. He told the board of directors that he didn't tell me. Mm -hmm. And so the minister was there, was recalled back to California, and I became the minister of the Phoenix Center for the next two years. As you mentioned, I was, at that time, only 21. So uh, I was 21 years old when I became the minister of the center and uh, I was there two years before I, uh, I felt it was time to depart. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, mm-hmm. But
2: uh, it was marvelous experience. I was there almost four years total. And it was like uh, being in an um, a, uh, in- intensive monastic, monastic environment. Mm-hmm. I was, I was all, all alone. The last two years, I was all alone over there. There were no, no other di- disciples with with me. I didn't have any social life. I, I didn't want it. Uh, devoted my time to maintaining the, the church facility and conducting services and uh, study and meditation. So it was marvelous uh, opportunity mm-hmm. at that early stage in life to have have the opportunity to experience in in depth. Uh, spiritual practice
3: mm-hmm. so uh,
2: mm-hmm. it was ideal for me and he he, he understood my personality uh, he yeah would not have, he, he would not have sent anyone else over there i don't think right uh, who was that young mm-hmm. left them alone by themselves yeah, yeah. Uh, so
1: in the worked, book worked,
2: they worked out for me
1: oh good So in the book, um, you include a chapter of questions that you have received and your answers regarding Yogananda and the teaching of Kriya Yoga. And many uh, of the questions that you mention are ones that I've had and others have had that I've heard asked of you. So one of the questions is why um, Yogananda sometimes referred to God as Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, Him he, her, she, and other ways that indicated a, a personalized idea of God. So, what is your teaching about that personalization of the concept yeah. of God?
2: Yes, yeah. so the Paramahansa Yogananda, of course, uh, obviously was a uh, st- student of what, what is called Advaita Vedanta or non-dualism, where you simply say one ultimate reality that is nameless and formless, but. Uh, he understood that in our secular world, most people uh, consider that view of ultimate reality to be very abstract, and so they they project a name on it. And uh, uh, the word God, for instance, I did some research on the word, and it goes back a little more than two thousand years uh, to uh, the. Uh, oh, Germany, when uh, a, a bishop uh, translated one of the early uh, versions of the New Testament and translated into what is called Old German language, and he used the word derived from Old German and Dutch, uh, which was later was. Uh, uh, defined or, or pronounced as got or God. Uh, so that's the beginning of the word God, not the beginning of God, of course, but the beginning of the word God. Then, of course, the Okananda being uh, of India, uh, he would say, he refers to God as Brahman and, Bra- and all the aspects such as Bra- Brahma or Vishnu or Shiva, which are different, uh, define different ca- uh, characteristics of that reality. But when he came to America, in order to relate to people of Christian uh, background, he began using terms of such as Heavenly Father and uh, uh, referring to God as He and Him. Even his Indian background refers to God as a Divine Mother. In India, the term Divine Mother is used to refer to the a universal or cosmic intelligence that pervades the universe along with the, the spiritual spiritual energy or shakti. So it, it's understood not to be a person. But mm-hmm. It's personalized by people who feel more comfortable having a personal uh, relationship with that ultimate reality. And when he came to America to let people know that he was not a Hindu who was going to try to convert them to from Christianity to Hinduism. He began to quote from the New Testament Mm -hmm. and point out scriptures uh, which seemed to be similar as far as teaching emphasis as some of the scriptures of India. India. And uh, that made Americans feel more comfortable and feel that they could relate more easily to his teachings.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I know from his readings that Yogananda did quote from the Bible, uh, and, um, you know, included um, that in, in many of his books. So um, what, how does that, how is that relevant in terms of today? You now, how do we look at that today? Because when he came initially in 1920, he came to the United States, um, and then he passed, as we've said, in in 1952. It was really a different different America, um, yeah. and I saw that it was really necessary. I can imagine it was really necessary, as you as you mentioned, uh, for him to you know include all that. But but what about today?
2: Yeah. well, I haven't thoughts about that situation, because on the one hand, in the early 20s and 30s and 40s, he did make his his public. Uh, Presentations more acceptable. People felt more comfortable uh, about having a Hindu who could quote the New Testament and so forth. Uh, But I I I I outgrew fundamentalist Christian concepts when I was eight or ten years old, and uh, I could appreciate the, the stories of morality and and goodness and emphasis on compassion and love that are found in some parts of the Bible. But I, at, from the age of 10 or 11, I never really needed Bible instruction uh, or support for my philosophical ideas. And so today I don't know whether it's useful to uh, widely, widely publicize that approach or not. Uh, I know many people who are... Uh, who, Who practice yoga, Uh, they like the yogic philosophy, but they also uh, feel comfortable because they were raised in a Christian tradition and they have family members who are practicing Christians or go to a a, a Protestant church, perhaps, or a Catholic church, and they they feel uh, like they can adapt more easily. I don't think it's actually necessary for for people to do that, but if, if it helps them, be devotional and be focused on their spiritual path that I, I, I consider it to be all right.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a little bit, uh, we've talked uh, about when Yogananda ordained you, he, um, he told you to initiate people into Kriya Yoga. I think this is a confusing term, you know, for some people, this idea of, of initiation, which is something in the tradition of Kriya Yoga. So um, what, what, does, what does initiation mean?
2: Well, if we look it up in the dictionary, the word initiation is defined as a new beginning. Mm-hmm. So any new beginning that contributes to or leads on to our emotional and spiritual maturity would be an act of initiation. a physical birth, uh, uh, if you're very young in a pre- 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 Catholic or Protestant church and you Take your study, study scripture, and make a declaration of your uh, membership and role in the church. Those are new beginnings for Jewish boys and girls to be bar misfit or bat misfit Mm -hmm. and welcomed into the community of adults. That would be new beginning, Uh, marriage, having children, and so on. But in the spiritual realm, When a person is initiated, they should make a commitment, a complete commitment to going going forward with the instruction they receive and to awakening to complete spiritual enlightenment or knowledge of their true nature and relationship with the infinite. So a spiritual initiation is a new beginning on a spiritual awakening path. And usually when a person is uh, formally initiated uh, on a spiritual path, usually they are reminded about how to live uh, ethically and wisely, but also they are also taught how to pray and meditate in order to uh, quicken their spiritual evolution or awakening. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they they become committed committed disciples. And uh, the word disciple, of course, is from the Greek, disciples, which means student or learner. Mm -hmm. So to Mm -hmm. be a student or learner means to learn and to follow through and use, wisely use what is learned in order to accomplish noble purposes. Mm-hmm. My soul Yogananda told me to initiate devotees into Kriya Yoga. He meant initiate them into these practices that can result in clarification of awareness and self-realization. Uh, the word Kriya Yoga sounds rather exotic, but really the word Kriya simply means process or action, and Yoga means the uh, restoration of awareness and attention uh, to our pure essence of being. Mm -hmm. So Kriya Yoga includes the things we do to facilitate and quicken our spiritual awakening. And uh, very, very quickly, uh, in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, the basic guidelines are discipline, thinking, and behavior in-depth or profound inquiry into our true nature or spiritual essence and purification and transcendence of our mistaken sense of self-identity or ego so that we can realize, that is experience and know, our true nature uh, as a unit of the pure essence of an ultimate reality. So if we pay attention to these basic practices, uh, and are successful in uh, it, uh, adhering to them uh, to, to the ultimate ultimate conclusion, then we are fairly certain to be uh, assured of being spiritually awake in the current incarnation. And that's how Yogananda talked to me uh, privately. He encouraged me to wake up completely, in this current physical embodiment, and he told me, he said, you can do it. So he emphasized that the real purpose of our being in this world is to grow to uh, emotional and spiritual maturity and uh, do it while we are here, this time around. mm
1: mm-hmm. So I think it's really good to talk about this now because uh, when you are uh, in San Jose on March 23rd, Saturday, March 23rd, you will be offering uh, initiation, some uh, talk with you in the morning and then initiation in the afternoon. So um, just uh, we've got about a minute and a half um, for you to describe, um, well, Actually, I'll just leave it open. So did you want to um, leave some words of encouragement or inspiration um, uh, with our listeners today?
2: For sure. I, I, I think it is the destiny of every person to, sooner or later, awaken completely to realization of their true or spiritual essence. And if we hold on to that uh, aspiration and faith that it can be possible and think right and live right and surrender our mistaken sense of self-identity in order to experience our true nature, this can be accomplished in this current incarnation. Mm
3: -hmm. So this
2: is what I recommend for everyone, to have that goal, that aim, that ideal, and to patiently persist in the right way and to allow awareness to be clarified and uh, allow uh, this realization to occur and be permanent. And I think that is possible for everyone who is highly resolved. So I wish everyone who, who is within range of our our program today, I wish them the highest and best and uh, a good fortune in their everyday life, and awakening to the, their ultimate good, mm. which is possible for them to realize.
1: Oh, lovely. Well, thank you so much, Roy Jean Davis. You, my pleasure. You, you've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the show, And we've been discussing spiritual lessons from Paramahansa Yogananda with our special guest, Roya Jean Davis. You can find out more about Mr. Davis at csa-davis.org. Again, csa-davis.org. And the book we've been discussing today is Paramahansa Yogananda, As I Knew Him. Um, You can consult that website for lots of information about Mr. Davis's many books uh, and also the Truth Journal, which has been in continuous publication for over 60 years. Thank you so much, Roy, for joining us. And we're really looking forward to your visit to the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, uh, in just a couple of weeks on March 22nd and 23rd, 2019.
2: All right. Thank you very much.
1: There are several previous Yoga Hour episodes where Mr. Davis was a guest in our archive at unity.fm slash the yoga hour. To find them, just go to that uh, site, unity.fm slash the yoga hour, and uh, just enter Roy Davis in the search box. Um, yeah. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, Meditation Center, and the Kriya Yoga Tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember to carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now.